Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand. And the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. Hello, hello and welcome to uh, the Configure It Done podcast and Bethany, my colleague, is back along and you've got a fantastic guest today. So this is Jason Anthony, who is the head of SAP capability at SA Power Networks. And many of you will be familiar with him already because SA Power Networks has had one of the most successful, brilliant Asperhana implementations in the market. They're quite well known. And Jason has some very specific reasons as to why he feels they've been so successful. So welcome, Jason. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Bethany. Uh, and uh, appreciate the, the invite to come on to uh, Configure It Done. It's, uh, it's great to uh, catch up in person and uh, talk about a, a topic which is, I think, probably dear to both of our hearts. So. Excellent. All right. Well, let's um, let's dive straight in. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you need no introduction, but um, got the, a question that I know you and Bethany have been speaking about uh, before. Um, and the first question we'd love to ask is what are the elements of creating a successful SAP S4 HANA program? Yeah, there's there's a lot of parts that make it up. And, you know, and obviously from a you know, project delivery point of view, you've got your, you know, your, your core, you know, um, make sure you've got clear scope, you've got your milestones, you've got your governance and gates and so forth and all that sits in there. But there's probably four areas I'd look at and say, um, you know, putting all that project management deliveries to the side. Um, I, I think if you're going to go down this journey, it's important to make it business led and IT supported. Um, so don't go in saying it's a technical activity that we're doing and we're imposing it on the business. Um, you'll get much greater buy-in from the business, uh, much greater uh, take up and acceptance from the business if they go along the journey right from the start. So uh, I'd, I'd definitely be encouraging that's the approach it should take, um, make it business-led, IT-supported. Um, with any of these large programs, uh, quite often you'll have to be involved with or, or you'd want to be involved with SI partners to do this or a significant number of contractors to deliver these sort of programs. So commercially, it's important to have good contracts in place. Um, if you do the, the hard work at the front, making sure all the I's and T's are dotted and crossed, um, it makes it easier down the path when you have some challenging uh, moments um, that contractually it's really clear roles and responsibilities, who's responsible for what, um, and real clarity on that. There's nothing worse halfway through a program. I always think if you have to pull a contract out during a program like that, you know, you've failed right at the start when you should have been, you know, nailing these out in the first place. That's um, a really good point, by the way, that's not. So we, we've discussed this topic in kind of different capacities with different leaders and nobody's quite brought up the contract piece in that way before. Yeah, it often gets overlooked. It's one of the things you go out, you, you go through the process, pick a partner and off you go running. And it's a quick tick and flick with procurement. But it, it is important to really look and understand those roles and responsibilities. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what everyone's going to be held accountable from a commercial point of view. So is it, is it about forward playing every single possible scenario then and, and bringing that to light and having that conversation, yeah? 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, particularly, you know, you go out to the market and you'll get an SI partner that hopefully has got experience in doing this, and that's why you're selecting them. So definitely bring that to the table of their experience. Um, don't feel like um, you're creating a contract and imposing it on them. Have that discussion and collaboration about commercially what's right for both parties. Because, you know, I always look at any commercial um, uh, agreements that I go, it needs to be a win-win outcome. You need to commercially have a win-win outcome so that both parties can be and will be successful coming out of this. There's no point trying to commercially, you know, um, make things difficult for one party and not the other because, you know, all you're doing is is increasing the risk in your own program that sits there. So I think if you go in with the right mindset, um, spend that time up front and getting it correct, everyone will be better off in the long run for that. So I agree. This might be slightly off topic, Jay, but that reminds me so much of Chris Voss, you know, the FBI negotiator. He talks about that yeah. a lot. Both parties need to feel like they've won or everybody's lost. Absolutely. Love that. Um, probably thirdly, uh, I'd say, um, you know, get that executive support. So make sure from a steering committee, you've got your key executive members in there. In our case, during our journey, we had our CEO and a significant representation from our general managers on board. So make sure you've got that right representation at the top and backing and support so that it makes it easier um, to have those discussions throughout the course of the project. And you've got buy-in from top level as it cascades down. And then lastly, which is, you know, probably key to what we're here to discuss, um, we're a very big um, one team culture uh, within the organisation. So um, with these size programs, you've got many partners, contractors, etc. So you end up with a collection of individuals and that's what they are, is individuals. Um, very quickly, what you want to do in place is put in a culture where it's one team um, so that you're all collectively um, understanding the common goal that you have and working together on that as together. Um, you know, one of the very proud things I think I have within our company is I always say if you come and visit us at SO Power Networks, walk through the floor and you shouldn't be able to tell the difference between an employee, a contractor, an SI, whatever. They're one happy collective group driving towards goals and, and driving that. Um, if, if, if your environment is not like that, I think, you know, you need to have a look at your culture and there shouldn't be the them and us that sits there. So I think they're probably the four things. I think business-led, um, contractually make sure it's right, executive um, buy-in and, and sponsorship that sits there, and one-team culture that sits there. That's brilliant. I, I want so badly to touch on all the other points, but I think I'll, I'll stick to the culture. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to make this go for well over an hour. So um, we've spoken a lot about culture, you and I. I'd love to hear what culture means to you because it's kind of a buzzword at the moment, but mm. but fostering a culture that works for everybody and fostering a culture that leads to to excellence, you know, program management, everything else is, is a lot easier said than done. So what does culture mean to you? Um, to me, it's key. I'm, you know, we're a, we're a company that is focused on, you know, poles and whys. That's what we do in, our, in the utility space. Our most important asset is our people. So it's their ability to deliver. If, if they have a, an environment which is safe, supportive, um, allows them to be innovative, allows them to succeed, but also fail and learn from it and move forward. Um, then you're really building that culture and that environment that allows people to be the best. And I think, you know, fundamentally, everyone that gets up and comes into work wants to do the best and wants to be the best and, you know, be challenged and, and stretch yourself as you go forward in your careers. Um, 
that environment you need to to build and foster to allow that to happen um and that needs to be across the entire organization to do that so um culture to me is very key in, in anything that we do particularly you know when we're talking about the HANA programs and see we part um so the, the leadership team here they they allow that uh, as well at precision they they encourage people to um to fail and learn from mistakes. They encourage um, encourage people to grow. They encourage people to um, you know, come together as one. But like, how do you how do you cultivate your leadership team um, to to create and nurture that great that great culture? Yeah, it's you know culture doesn't happen, and and I think some organisations um, that's how they feel. It's sort of just going to evolve and happen. It's, it's a, it doesn't. I think you need to think about how how do you want the environment that you want to be in? How do you want to be seen? Um, I, I think you need to, to look at that and you need to continually reinforce um, that message. It's not something you kick off at the start and say, right, everyone, this is how we're going to be. I've done that, tick that off, and you know, the next two years we'll go on this program. It needs to be continually re reinforced and looked at, um, particularly with uh, if we look at our project teams today, I think there's a greater level of diversity within our project teams now more than ever. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, across the entire gamut, you know, it's not only just where people are coming from, but their religious beliefs, you know, ideas, etc. So um, your culture needs to embrace that. Um, you need to look at that diversity and their strengths that you have within your team. So you should be looking at that, embracing that and, and bringing that out even more, because I think that is really a strength that potentially sometimes doesn't get tapped. It's sometimes an, an untapped uh, uh, quantity for you. Um, I think as leaders, we need to, you know, we get judged on what we do, what we say and how we act. Um, and everyone around us will look at that, hear it and, 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 and see what goes on. So we need to walk the talk there. So there's, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to have that culture that we're talking about here today, you need to represent that um, and you need to believe in it. And those around you as a leader will see that. They will copy to some extent or mimic but if you have certain bad traits that you show others will see it and think that's okay that's you know acceptable in that environment so i think it's important as leaders that we we, we have a good understanding of what the culture is that we want and and then actually show that all the time um, and i think it's important that you know we hold each other accountable so where you see um, certain traits or activities that you know doesn't fit the culture that we want to have within the organisation. It's okay to call it out and have discussions with others and say, "Hey, I don't think this is appropriate," or "I, I think you know we're we're not really being as collaborative as we should be. We're probably you know what's the issues that sit there." And I think that's an important activity to do. Um, and I think with any program that you kick off, you need to sit down and do that. You know, defining what is it that we're about, have, understand who your partners are that are coming on board, and how do you want to foster that going forward? Because um, you've got to remember, cultures uh, for a program like this, you've got the culture within our organisation and how we operate, and then we invite all these people to come in and help us deliver. They have different cultures and how they operate, consultants, contractors, whatever it might be, um, and even overseas, completely different. So you need to think about that and say, okay, how do we want to operate going forward, considering all that diversity and it sits there. So um, that's probably. I think, 
Yeah, that's that's such a good point. Um, Jay and I actually met with one of our one of our favorite clients a couple of weeks ago, and he's originally from India, and he was going to a meditation retreat, and and just something like that. I mean, it's not something it's becoming commonly done here, but that's very much specific to his his background and culture, and everything that he'll be able to bring back from that retreat. He was talking about he was doing a meditation retreat to learn how to basically meditate for 20 minutes to refresh his energy mm -hmm. and this is something that's running to get studied and, and has a lot of scientific basis but isn't very common here in the west and yeah. things like that would be so helpful in projects if you have those that will listen and say that's that's interesting how, yeah. how do we how do we implement that in the team i think it's 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 special yeah yeah we have um sessions like that where it's you know um check-ins or mindful thinking where you you know you can have that time and and, and and that sort of principles that sits there. And I think, you know, that's a different way of thinking, different sort of cultural diversity that sits there. And, you know, I think we need to be open to those. It might not be for everyone, but you provide that opportunity for people to experience that. And if that's what they like and embrace, that's great. It's, you know, you already get better productivity out of everyone. So 100%, um, I agree. We, we do a lot of cultural check-ins too, Jay. We have, um, we have morning meetings and we talk a lot about mindset, energy management, all of that. And I, it does, it, it is very important. Um, so I guess the, the biggest question we have for you, because like I said, I've, uh, I mean, we've been working with SA Power Networks for a while. You've been a client of ours for a while, but um, we've heard SA Power Networks ask for HANA program reference so often in the market because it was so successful. And not only does Australia have very few ask for HANA programs that have been completed, but even fewer that were highly, highly successful. So um, you talked about the four different kind of pillars for a successful program before. Yeah. Is, is there anything else you can tell us about why you think SA Power Networks saw so much success with, with their with their programs? Yeah, we've had two. As I said, we've done two Esfahana deployments um, yeah. back in, um, I think it was about 2019. Um, we went through an exercise. It was a, um, a Greenfields um, deployment of a SAP ISU with NPM. Um, and, and the driver for that was really we were um, looking to decommissioning our billing, marketing systems, metering systems and so forth, which was spread across various vendors and products, consolidated down to a SAP solution in ISU using the NPM product. Um, and, uh, and we did a light touch C for C as well in there. Um, so we we're looking to do that Greenfields exercise. It was about a two year project. Um, significant investment in a number of recent, you know, 100 plus people uh, on the program for two years. Um, we partnered with Capgemini as our SI partner. We brought in Wipro to do the data conversion and we had SAT delivering the NPM solution. So we talked about commercially at the start, there's quite a few players and, and we went down that path specifically. We didn't want one company doing the lot. We spread it across multiple, so we had some um, clear accountability across the various um, participants that were in there um, and clear ownership. I have a quick question actually before you yeah. move on to that because that, that's fairly common. How do you manage so many different SIs in order to keep everything running, I guess, as smoothly as, smoothly as possible? I just didn't want to lose that train of thought because it's relevant no, no, no. to what you're saying. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things, that one culture that we talk about, we brought them all on. Um, commercially, we made sure there was clear accountability. We had those parties actually talk as well. So it wasn't, oh, here you go, here's a new company that's just walked in the door. Um, they all talked and, and understood where they sat. Um, from an executive point of view, they all had a seat at the steer code. 
So sometimes you have steering committees where it's just the internal company. We actually had them have a seat at the steering committee with our exec management team. Um, so they had um, clear um, responsibilities and they would talk to those at the steering committee level. Um, so that got great buy-in from them. Um, at the next level down from a project delivery point of view, um, we to help foster that one culture environment, we we buddied them up. So if you, for example, um, if a cap Gemini in the um, SI space, we would have you know some key functional people in metering or billing and so forth. We would partner them up with um, their counterparts within our company. So we then had you know representation on key core functional areas that we needed to work through during the course of the project but it would be a collective team that automatically budding together so there was never any of the them and us scenarios or throwing stuff over the fence they collectively worked together on solutions um, and we held accountable on that um, and that was a really um, effective way of getting you know getting rid of that them and us scenario and, and building a, a one team culture because they work together and very quickly they're our best of mates and they're working on solutions and you, you could just see it take off. It was absolutely brilliant to see. I'm, I'm curious, um, curious, Jason, just on that kind of multiple SI chain of thought there. Um, did the location, like being in Adelaide, play a part to that with maybe one company not being able to provide every single resource? Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it's location play a part in that or not? Not really. Um, yeah, I mean, where we're situated, where we're located, I guess, um, in the SAP space, we are um, staffable resources, particularly in that space uh, in Adelaide. So it is, you know, Eastern Seaboard has the bulk of the, the resources that sit there. So it is difficult for us to get that. Um, I think commercially, when we looked at, you know, partners, the um, the billing and CRM program, which is rolling out OSU, was such a large program over two years. You needed key experience from partners like Wipro did the data conversion. So they were experts in that area. They had pro experience, so we were bringing them in. You know, Capgemini had experience in the s hana so you're bringing in that core great talent um, to help complement what we would never be able to get locally mm. in that space. So, um, and it is key, and we, you know, we had a team all over the world, um, you know, working on this. We obviously had core people in Adelaide, but we had people in, you know, in Asia, in Europe, in America, New Zealand, um, it was completely a you know a world effort um, yeah. in regards to that. It, it's it's just so interesting to hear because that is a very common scenario. Is you have multiple SIs on site, but normally when I hear that, I kind of I cringe because you know that most likely there is very much an us versus them mentality, and it's not just between SI and and the end user. It's between multiple SIs, and it becomes really chaotic. So it sounds like the key is is the actual company leading it from the front to ensure everybody's on track. It can't be led from the SI. It's got to be led from the company to yeah. ensure everybody feels like they've got a seat at the table and there's no reason to be you know, yeah. competitive. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, getting them in at that steer level, everyone's got a seat at the table. There's, you know, you're going to have those executive discussions that are, you know, them and I sort of loop very quickly when you've got everyone with a seat. Um, I, I think, you know, personally, I think the, you know, the vendors involved enjoyed having the seat at the table because they can actually articulate and hear what's going on and and, and have their say and input and, and feel like they're heard. Um, and then at that project delivery level by, you know, partnering up and building those those teams, um, you know, they just fostered and just growed. It was great watching them grow as to, you know, and the, the drive and 
you know, you know, we're talking about at the start about you know allowing people to be the best. You could just see that take off and nurture as, as people were, you know, challenging each other and and, and really pushing you know outcomes that sat there. So, so um, so that was exciting. So we did that as I said for for two years. Um, we completed that. Um, we delivered on time on budget. Um, we picked up um, the Australian uh, Institute of Project Management gave us nationally the best project of the year and. Um, we went over uh, two years ago. Um, our project director, Trevor, um, went over and presented it at the um, Set Utility Conference in Europe um, to show, you know, not all projects blow out and you know have uh, difficulties in being delivered. There is ones that are very successful. So, and it was without a doubt probably the best in for my career-wise, probably one of the best projects I've worked on. You know, of what we achieved in in that time frame and and complexity to deliver, you know, on time and budgets, you know, fairly rare scenario that sits there so it, it is we can we can say that from experience jay and i have both done this for i'm um, six years i think you're the same jay or or maybe longer now and it's yeah it's it's not often that you hear one that's done on time and on budget and when you have a project manager that's managed a project that was on time and on budget it's like it's like the golden ticket there's a level of excitement because it's it's, it's not common mm. um I think if I were to summarize everything you've said today, it sounds like just really radical accountability is what's most important. Everybody is accountable for what they need to do. Everybody's accountable for how they behave. Everybody's accountable for the culture they bring to the table. Yeah. The SIs are accountable for um, for fostering the same culture. It sounds like just giving everybody responsibility and, and holding them to that has been really key people-wise on top of the four pillars that you mentioned when we first started. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a model that works because we delivered that, um, as I said, a couple of years ago. And then we've just rolled, um, updated our EC6, um, which is a brownfield. So we've taken our ERP systems and moved that uh, into the cloud and, and, and moved it to S4HANA. So, you know, it's a slightly different approach and project, but um, we use the same model and the approach that we did that. So it was great to see something that had worked before. doesn't apply. We had EY as ISI partner in there. Um, and you know so we had different players and different people when it worked you know successfully again so we know it's something that works and you know it's a bit of a cookie cutter approach that we're taking to any of our major projects that we do now jason there's some fantastic insights i really appreciate it. i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to think about this question and um and it's it's a, part, a parting question and a message to different customers that might have been in a similar position to um three years but what's your your top three learnings from going through two S4, S4 HANA programs. Um, and then lastly as well, um, who else would you like to listen to on this podcast? So yeah, a couple of questions there. Um, probably three le le uh, learnings. I think um, uh, any of these large programs, if you're doing S4 HANA, it's, uh, and I'll touch on the start, bring the business involvement, make it business-led. You have to bring that journey. And in Spahana, um, deployment is generally corporate-wide. It touches everyone that sits there. So bring the company along the journey. Don't treat it as an isolation IT activity or technical activity that's taken place. Um, bring that journey on board, get that senior executive management that comes through. Um, and that takes a big step forward in having success. Um, because when you get to the end of the deployment, you go, hey, we're done and no one's really using it or bought into it. Um, difficulties just happen for years afterwards. Um, yeah. So there's that aspect. I think, you know, I touched on, you know, our environment culture of that one team um, is so important. I've said the people are the most important things. You can have as many tools and 
wonderful automation and all these other things that sit there, but it's the people that will make the difference in the outcomes of success, particularly during challenging times. So it's being able to bring those people together, look at how that works uh, in a very diverse environment that we have um, in that space. Um, and I think another thing, you know, we haven't really touched on is, you know, celebrate success. So any of these large programs that we have and you go along, there will be challenges, there will be times where you get things wrong, that's fine. Um, you know, foster that, embrace that, learn from it and move forward, but also make sure you met you, you know, celebrate that success that comes through because um, sometimes when you have large programs, it's the little things that you need to chunk it up and think about, you know, it's step by step, you know, bit by bit that you build that success to the end goal that sits there. So I think probably those three things I think would probably um, be some some advice in that space. Um, someone coming and having a chat going forward. Um, I think I'm very people driven and we've talked about that heavily within this. Um, so I, I'm really keen for people and innovative ideas. You know, how do, can we do things differently? How can we approach things differently? I think we're definitely going into an environment now where people have done a lot of talking about AI and what that means. So um, it would be interesting, you know, as that journey goes forward, what does that mean for us and roles and delivery and tools that we use um, and how that impacts? And I think um, depending on how people embrace that AI and that, that um, technology steps that we're making, you know, some are fearful, some aren't, some embrace it, some don't. Um, but I think it would be interesting to say, you know, over the next years to come and the speed that it's going at, you know, where do we see that going and the impact it has on the people and the work that we do? Um, because I think there's, you know, with any technology, um, it's great to embrace it, but we need to understand it and we need to be able to look at how do we foster that in. And, you know, we've talked about culture, so where does that fit within our culture that we move forward? Um, so it would be interesting from that. I think it's a great idea. I'm definitely um, going to bring that to our leadership teams if we can get a topic or an event on on that. So uh, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, Jason and Bethany, thank you. Thank you both. Bethany, thanks for inviting Jason on. And Jason, thanks for those insights. Um, that's great to be here. And, uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. Indeed. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Please like, share, comment and subscribe to the Configure It Done podcast.